Let's go ahead and stand, take our Bible and our hymn book, and turn to page 409. 409. 409. Hold the fort. Get ready to wave the answer back to heaven.
Come ahead, Pastor Wilcox. All right, I got a couple of things to, uh, to announce while I'm here. Um, if you would keep in prayer, uh, Jimmy McGahey went into the hospital last night with some blood pressure problems. Uh, and as far as I know, he's still there. So keep, uh, keep him in prayer. Um, also, uh, Pastor John Havman uh, also went into the hospital. Was it last night uh, with a, or this, maybe this morning with a stroke? Um, and so just be praying for him. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't know that I have all the details on that, but just keep him in prayer uh, during this time. Um, I do have uh, another item of, of update, and this is uh, it's one of those, you know, it, it's going to be a humbling thing for me. Uh, just so you know, pastors make mistakes, uh, and I've made one, and uh, I'll let you know. And, uh, but uh, uh, I, got, uh, I got in my head one thing, and I never thought anything about it, and I had every reason and opportunity to think otherwise, but I just stuck with what I thought. And uh, Brother uh, Dr. Peacock here is going to be here through Wednesday. He flies out Thursday morning, uh, but we are still going to have our meeting through Thursday. Brother uh, Zach Stisser, uh, minister from Bismarck, North Dakota, is going to uh, finish out our last night. And so we're, we're I, don't, I don't know, uh, I'm just going to take it as that maybe the Lord uh, uh, maybe use my uh, frailty or fault or ignorance or whatever, and uh, you'll get an extra night out of it that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So, uh, uh, so we're pleased with that, and, but uh, we're happy to have Dr. Peacock here with us for, for as many nights as we can get him here for. Uh, it's been a blessing to have him here. I, uh, not to, This isn't meant to puff him up or anything, but if you were here last night and you got a blessing, would you say amen? Amen. 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 I uh, just I'll let you all know that you're you know, you're Missouri folks. You know that, right? You know, you're not the easiest people in the world to read. <laughs> but uh, but I know you got a lot out of it. I got a blessing out of it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to what uh, what the Lord has given him to give to us uh, here this evening. So I won't uh, I won't do any more bootleg preaching here, uh, but I'll get out of the pulpit. and Dr. Peacock, come ahead. Maybe the whole reason that I'm here in the first place was to get Brother Stisser here so that y'all can hear him on Thursday. And uh, maybe we'll just have Brother Stisser go ahead and preach tonight. But you never know what the Lord might be doing and how the Lord might be working and what it is that he, uh, he winds up getting done uh, for you during this particular time. I do appreciate the privilege of being here. Hope and pray sincerely that it's not a waste of your time and uh, that you get a little further down the road or a little closer to the Lord as a result of the conversations that we have and the preaching that you get here. Uh, one of the things that's important that's always been, uh, I guess, resolute in the back of my mind on a regular basis is, is certain things that the old preacher said along the way in many years. And I know a lot of you knew him very well and, and those kind of things. I don't claim to have a corner on the market there. But one of the things that he stressed uh, on a regular basis, I mean, I'm talking more than once a year, was the most important thing in a man or a woman's life is their uh, fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning after you get saved, staying in fellowship with the Lord becomes the most imperative thing that you can have. Unfortunately, sometimes because of the world we live in, 
We have a propensity to think that there are certain things that we can do that will cause us to be excommunicated or removed or pulled out or pulled away. God can't use us, you know, because of the mistakes that we made. Could I remind you this as we get started tonight? Can I remind you of the fact that David committed murder and adultery and God still used him? I'm not recommending you commit murder and adultery. I'm simply saying God still used David. He didn't allow him to get out. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the life of David, do you recognize that David wound up getting hammered worse for his pride than he did for his murder and adultery? I mean, I got to thinking the other day, if the Lord just hammered me uh, for one sin in my life, if He hammered me for pride, I'd get it a whole lot worse than some of the other things that I might have done along the way coming up. But David winds up losing 70,000 men just because of his pride. And he winds up losing the baby, and a couple of things happen there to Tamar and this and that and the other. But the bottom line is, is that we sometimes remove ourselves. I'm reminded of Peter. Peter's over there in John 21. And you know what he says? I'm going fishing. That's the equivalent of saying, the Lord can't use me anymore. I betrayed the Lord. I denied the Lord, even though I'm the very one. You remember how staunch Peter was? Peter's one of those extroverted kind of leaders that, you know, he's going to jump in with his mouth before he gets in with the rest of him. Peter's going to jump in the middle of everything. And, Lord, not so, Lord, not anybody. I mean, they might all do it, but I'm definitely not going to do it. He comes out there. He's ready to hack and whack with his sword, cuts off Malchus's ear like that. And the Lord's just saying, I mean, literally two chapters before, you know what he calls him? the devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Lord, you're not going to die. You're not about to go die. Well, now, I don't know about you, but after being there and being kind of the, you know, frozen chosen at the top of everything there, and then to have that cataclysmic fall there by the fire by a couple of maiden girls that come out there to serve him coffee and tea, don't you think that'd be hard to recover from? I mean, think about, don't you, don't you imagine how hard it would be to show your face to the other apostles after you said you wouldn't deny, and you basically called the Lord a liar and called all them cowards. And then yet the Lord, you know what He did? Just trying to make a point here as we get started, you know what the Lord did? The Lord used Him anyway. You ever look at the woman over there, and I believe it will be John chapter number 4. It's on the right-hand side of my Bible there. You come down the passage, you know what happens. Here comes a woman out there in the middle of the day. Many people don't know why she would come in the middle of the day. That's the time when all the misfits came. The Lord had already told the boys over there in the book of Matthew. He said, go not way to the Gentile, only the lost sheep of the, the Samaritan, go only the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then he comes up to them and he says, hey boys, I must needs go by Samaria. Lord, you told us not to go there. I got to make a, I got to make a detour. But Lord, we're not supposed to be over there. Just shut up. We're going. So he goes over there. The living Bible version is what that is there. <laughs> and so he goes over there to the situation and he's standing there by the well. I've often thought to myself, what that woman must have been thinking with that man standing by the well, knowing who comes to the well in the middle of the day. You know who comes to the well? The misfits. You know who comes to the well? The prostitutes. The thieves, the thugs, the bad people. Can you imagine that girl walking up there and seeing a man standing by the well? What does she know about men? Can I tell you what she knows about men? They're all there to use her. She has five husbands and none of them are hers. If there was ever a homewrecker in the Bible, she's a homewrecker. You're getting quiet right there. I mean, think about it. If I could paint, I can't paint at all. I'd paint her with a mohawk. 
a lime green mohawk. And I'd paint her with not enough uh, uh, clothes to make a pair of britches for a blue jay man. I mean, she'd be covered from head to toe and tacked like she had lost a fight with a paint gun somewhere or something. And she'd have piercings all over her. I mean, that's how you paint sinners, isn't it? Sinners aren't like you. Good people, you know, dress nice and look nice and high and tight, sitting in a nice church and that kind of thing. Not that, but those kind of people. You know how they are. And that comes up there. He ever thought what she must have been thinking when she saw a man there? Every man in her life, it looks like, had always used her. Have you ever paused to think about where she might have come from? Suppose she was abused as a kid. Suppose she had no value at all as a kid. You say, what do you know about that? I had to investigate that stuff for five years, 20 to 25 cases a month for five years. That does some psychological damage between your ears that you can't even put a price on. You don't even understand how bad that stuff can be to somebody. That's worse than physically breaking your arm or breaking your leg or having uh, physical problems. I've often wondered, why is the woman acting the way she's acting? Well, I don't know. I guess she's got to find value somewhere. She's looking for something. But it's interesting to me that Jesus seemed to care about that. Does that, ever, does that ever strike you strange? Or do you just read by that story like, well, that'd never be me. I'd never be no uh, 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 prostitute uh, walking out there and, and messing around with other people's husbands and stuff like that. I mean, that, do you just blow right by that? Why did he put that in there? She's just the woman at the well. What's her name? You have no idea. You're excluded from knowing who she is so you can put your name there and understand that it doesn't matter what you do. When you meet Jesus, you know what He does? He doesn't cover up your sin. You confess it, you forsake it, and He cleans you up as if you never did it. Now that's something that the Lord will do. You say, what happens about her? Well, she comes out there. Well, can the Lord use somebody busted up like that? I mean, use somebody that's a gangbanger? Use somebody that's uh, no good and done some horrible things? I remember a lady down, just giving you some illustrations, just kind of warming you up. Y'all are kind of scaring me with that Missouri stare this night. Y'all just won the Super Bowl, so you should be like happy about something, man. And y'all are like looking at me like, bless me if you can. You know, I'm like, okay, just give me a second. I'm going to try. I mean, I had a cup of coffee, so I might go for another 15 or 20 minutes, you know. But I, I get to wondering sometimes, you know, whether or not we think, could God use somebody like that? Do you know that all 12 of those apostles went into town and they didn't bring anybody back with them? Right. You know what they brought? Food. Right. You say, what? Isn't that how we are? What, what do I need? What do I get? Where do I go? That kind of a thing. And you know what the Lord does? He meets her at the well, gives her a drink of water. She'll never thirst again. And he doesn't say, now go turn out the town and be a witness. She doesn't send her to a witnessing class. Doesn't send her to now that you're here, you got to go to a witnessing class. You have to learn how to go through the Romans road. You have to learn the, the color cards. You, you have to learn how to be able to do this and that and the other and so on and so forth. You know what she did? She went into the town. Can I say this? A broken vessel. I mean literally broken apart. Everybody in that town knew who that woman was. Most of them didn't want to see her until the rats and the roaches and the bad people came out at nighttime. That's when the guys would come to see her. And she goes into the town in broad daylight, right shortly after noontime, and she said, y'all need to come see a man. Come see a man for what? He told me everything I did. He told you everything you ever did? Boy, don't you know there's five guys and the sixth one she's with now breaking out in a sweat? Don't you know they're sitting there thinking, man, I hope he don't tell my wife who she is. And all of a sudden he comes there. And guess what happened? She comes in there as a broken vessel and turns out the whole town. You ever turned out a whole town? 
God used her past and used the wreckage in her past and used the brokenness in her past to do something that even those apostles couldn't do. And they knew how to rightly divide and they knew every dispensation they could know. I mean, they've been in Bible school with the greatest Bible school teacher for three years and they hadn't learned anything about reaching people. Do you realize God can use you even though you've been busted apart and broken apart? Uh, Peter says, you know, he can't use me. I'm out of here. And you know what the Lord does? Shows up on the beach over there and he says, yeah, you love me? Well, what in the cat hair are you doing out there catching fish? I said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Why? Peter, you're in good shape now. You're broken. God likes to use broken vessels. He's at the Last Supper. You know what he does? He takes that bread and he breaks that bread. He breaks that bread. He breaks that bread. You know what he said? This is my body, which is, you know what it is? Broken for you. This do in remembrance for me. God likes to use broken things. As a matter of fact, you're not really worth anything until you wind up getting broken. I don't think you can jump off the pinnacle of the temple and break yourself. I think life will break you in time. Trouble, trials, depression, difficulties. I look at Elijah. Who would think Elijah would be worth anything? You ever read about that old preacher Elijah? Great preacher in the Bible, man. I mean, he goes over there, tells the preacher, I mean, tells the king it ain't going to rain no more. And then he steps out after that, and the Lord hides him for three years, three and a half years. He steps back out. He says, okay, show down. The okay corral. Goes up there, calls down fire. They throw the water out there on the, on the altar, and the fire comes and mops everything up there. And boy, the rain comes. It's a frog strangler. He comes in town. Nobody even gives him a biscuit. I mean, he brought what they've been needing. They don't appreciate anything. Don't even say, good sermon, preacher. Sure appreciate it, preacher. Thank you, preacher. Come to the house and get you a biscuit and some eggs, preacher. They don't say nothing to him. He's left out there shivering in the cold. And he gets a good, good uh, dose of depression. I know, I know, I know how it's taught. I know, you know, oh, he got a letter from a woman and he ran from a woman. Well, you know what? Depression can do some bad things to your mind. Depression can make you think outside the box. Depression can make you act out of character. You know what I've learned? I've been around long enough to learn this. I've been around long enough to know that when people are acting out of character, they're under pressure. I learned a long time ago from an old preacher out west, and I got through preaching a message one time, and I asked him a question, and he said, well, young man, he said, you know, you reached up and scratched his head, he said, well, he said, you know, preacher, sometimes when you're dealing with somebody, you never know what's packed up there in their saddlebags. Boy, I never forgot that. I thought, you know what, you're dealing with somebody, but you don't know what's really going on behind those eyes. You don't know the heartache. You don't know the long nights of them being out there and being away. You know what happened with Elijah? He gets that, he's already depressed and down. He says, hey, I, I'm good. I can't do anything. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. Here's my excuse. I'm going to get out of here. I'll be jumped if that old woman's going to kill me. You say, well, he was afraid of dying. Really? Within five verses, you know what he said? It is enough, Lord, let me die. I'm no good. He's gone so far into that desert, ladies and gentlemen, that he finds Juniper Junction out there. He can't get back to where he is. There's not enough water in the desert. There's not enough food. He's gone out there, whether he dies that moment or by exposure later, he's going to die. You say, why? I'm no good, he said. I am no better than my father's. Boy, that comparison will get you. I mean, all of a sudden you get to looking at what somebody else is doing and boy, their work is going and this is happening and that's happening and people are coming. This is going on and that's going on. And you're thinking, well, I'm no good, Lord. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to quit the ministry. I'm just going to get out. Hang on, hang on. You're not done yet. He's laid there underneath that tree curled up ready to die. I've seen him ready to do that. I've had preachers call me. 
I'm nobody to be calling. I'm just saying, say, hey, preacher, you know, what's the point of living? I know where I'm going when I die. I think I'm just going to check out. They kind of make it tongue-in-cheek, but they're thinking about it. I'm going to quit. I could make more money in the regular world. I mean, I gave up everything I had, and I'm out here trying to serve the Lord. I love the Lord. I believe the book. I'm doing right. And the people I'm trying to help and the people I'm trying to care for, they're biting and devouring my family. They're following me around, man. Find out whether or not my wife's cutting the, the grass in a dress, a Baptist jumper or something. Finding out whether or not my kids wear britches and finding out this and that and the other. Uh, preacher, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I'm out. I quit. I'm done. Hang on, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. The Lord's making you. The Lord's making you. You see, what's he doing? There's a breaking process. And it's hard and it hurts. I think when that little old woman comes up there, man, the Lord looks at her and says, You poor thing, you. You're looking for something. What did he do? He gave her what she was looking for. All those other things she had was you could say she was looking for love, looking for acceptance, uh, looking for appreciation in all the wrong places. Have you ever done that? Man, I'm going to tell you what, Facebook wouldn't flourish if that wasn't what most of you do. You know what Facebook is all about? You're looking for recognition from people, looking to, to try to amount to something. I must be somebody. I got a bunch of these. Trust me when I tell you they can go this way real quick. You say, why? You wanna, how do y'all, y'all like how I look? You look fat. You know, do you like this? Yeah, you look a little bit better, but your eye makeup's bad. You know, this is me. Where are you? I'm going to the coffee shop. This is me getting rid of the coffee from the coffee shop. We don't care. We don't care. That's not, that's, that's like T, T, what is that? T, T, W, T, T, M, I. T, too much information. You know, I wish they'd just write R.I.P. on some of them, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see before I get into our text tonight, God likes broken things. I was up in uh, North Carolina, this is years ago, up there at uh, Preacher Lackey's church in, uh, uh, what's that, Mount Airy, North Carolina, North Carolina. And I was up there preaching, and the old preacher was up there preaching, and there was an old woman, that elderly woman out there in the congregation and stuff. I got to know her pretty well, and she was just nice, like some of y'all. Just, you know, hey, hey, you, can I get you something? You know, what can I get you? You want some tea? You know, not tea. Tea. Can I get you some tea? You know, that. And, you know, everything winds up with a double syllable. Instead of saying Lord, they say Lord, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was talking to her and all that, and I mentioned something about where I'm headed here. And she says, uh, do you know, I I know all about them uh, broken vessels, them broken. I said, you do? I thought she was going to tell me a story about her, you know. And she says, yeah, she says, me and and, uh, Jed, I think his name was Jed or Josh, me and Jed, you know, we had one of these big old beautiful green uh, candelabra things that you had, and we put a candle down there in Christmas time, and that light would shine through there, boy, and dance on the walls and turn everything the prettiest green you've ever seen. And them knot-headed young'uns come through there one day and knocked it off the mantle and busted it all to pieces. And I said, that's, that's a terrible thing. She says, I ain't done yet. Uh, uh, yes, ma'am, excuse me, I'm sorry. If you'll stop talking, I'll finish the story. I got put in my place real quick. She said, Jed, poor thing, he done the best he could, you know. He got out that super glue and everything, the clear kind, you know, that's not supposed to smoke the glass and all. And he did his best to put them pieces together. She said, he never was no good at puzzles, you know, but he put that thing together. She said, it's the awfulest looking thing you've ever seen. And I started to say something. I thought, no, I ain't sticking it in here. <laughs> 
She said, you know what? The next Christmas we put it out because you know how we are. We just do that. It's a tradition. You know, and I thought, yeah, I get that. I understand it. She said, we put that thing up there. We lit that candle. She said, you know something? She said, I wish them kids had busted that thing years before that. She said, it's the prettiest thing you ever seen. She said, you know why? You can see the light coming through that thing now. And so many, she said, it looks like a whole handful of diamonds all over that thing. And it shines all over the place. She said, it's the centerpiece now. You can't even top the tree. Everybody's looking at that, that candelabra. And I thought, boy, if that isn't what, but that's a, <laughs> writing that one down, man. <laughs> yeah, the Lord can use a busted vessel. Why? Because the light shines better through the cracks. You know what will make you easier to minister to other people and make you soft-hearted and tender-hearted and all that when the Lord breaks that old hard exterior? I mean, the light comes out. I mean, it does. It comes out. But doesn't it come out so much better when it gets broken and all that? There's a lady down in prison down in uh, Orange County. We were down there, me and the old preacher running the junket back in the days. And he's up there preaching. We're in a little old bitty room. I'm coming to my text in a minute here. Uh, the, 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 sermon, the sermon is really short. It just takes a long time to preach it. <laughs> but but, but we're, we're in this prison, man. I mean, we're jammed in there like sardines, man. It's a little old terrazzo floor, you know. That, that's a fancy word for polished concrete. That's all that is. They just came in there with a bunch of wax and a buffer and made concrete look good, you know. Terrazzo floor. And they had pews real similar to this, but they had that, remember, naugahyde, that, that foe supposed to look like leather? It never looked like leather. That's like you rolled and pleated your car with plastic. Plastic, you know, it doesn't look like it, it. It looks like plastic. And that stuff was there. Some church had donated them in there, and there are pews right down the center portion of that. And the pews are as about almost as wide as the building is there, and they're spread out across that thing. And, and we're in there, and about seventy women or so in there, and it's so tight. There's nowhere for me to sit down, and so I'm backed up against the door there. And there's a pew right here in front of me, and I'm just kind of watching what's going on. The preacher's preaching about uh, uh, about the Lord in the middle there, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to him. He's preaching the crucifixion. And he's talking about both these on either side like that. And he stops. I remember he turns around and he says to him, he said, now ladies, if you ever want to meet a man that will always love you and will always be true to you and always be faithful to you and always put you ahead of everything else and always to, and before he could finish running the list of things, there was a big black girl there that stood up. She said, oh Lord, I want to meet a man like that. <laughs> he never even hesitated. He said, you just stay around. I'm going to introduce you to him, you know. And he went right on the drawing. And I I thought, boy, I mean, he never even stumbled over that thing. And so he gets through and he gets down to the end of that deal, man. And I'm watching this little old girl. I mean, she doesn't look like much. I found out later she was only 19. She looked every bit of 40. She was about 19 years old sitting down there. She's got skin poppers on her where she's been putting the needles in and causing her skin to rot away. Teeth look like burnt popcorn. Her hair is all matted together. She looked like a dog in a junkyard that had been up underneath the cars and stuff, just full of grease and all kind of stuff like that. And was detoxing, had this kind of gooey stuff coming out, man, and just, just constantly, you know, she's detoxed. She's just scratching and itching all the time and that kind of a deal. I'm sitting there watching, man, I mean, tears flowing down that girl's cheeks, boy. I mean, like rain coming down a mountaintop after a spring rain, boy, just pouring down there. And I can see them now. They hit right there on that old Naugahyde pew and then splash off onto that concrete. And then you can just see them just sort of splash like you're shattering an egg or something to just splash, you know, all that thing. And I'm watching, I thought, man, she's going to get it. She's going to get it, boy. She's going to get it. And he gets ready and he leads him in a prayer and so on and so forth. And she just sits there. She doesn't say anything. 
And I thought, well, well, I guess that's, maybe I misread it. Maybe she's already saved. Maybe she doesn't want to be saved. I don't know what happened. Some of the ladies gave testimonies and all that, and nothing happened. And I thought, well, okay, I guess. So they get ready to line them up, and they're taking them out. And I'm rolling up the drawing on the floor. And the Lord's doctor is drawing the picture of the Lord up there, beaten and wounded, you know, and stripes on him and blood all over the place and stuff like that. And I feel this shadow come over the top of me like this. And she looks down there, and she She's just as sincere. And I look back over my shoulder like this. And she said, please don't hurt him. Please don't hurt him. And I said, oh, he's not here. He's risen. He ever lived to make intercession for you. He's seated up there. She looked at me like I would had four eyes or something. She didn't understand what I was saying. And I'm giving her all this deep doctrinal stuff. and all. She didn't get anything I'm saying at all. And she said, don't hurt him. Don't hurt him, you know. And so I began to roll the thing up like that. And I said, well, did you talk to the Lord? She said, he can't clean me. And I said, listen, the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as snow. I said, if he can clean me, he can clean you. She said, you don't know what I did. And she started to say something. I said, I don't care what you did. It doesn't matter. If he can't forgive you, he can't forgive me, and we're all going to hell. And I said, wouldn't you like to talk to somebody about that? I called an old chaplain over there. Her name's Westmoreland. She'd been there as a volunteer for 30 years. And she comes over there all arthritic, her hands all twisted up, and big old knots on her knees, look like you tied knots and ropes and stuff. And she came over and said, Chaplain, I think she'd like to sit. They sat right there, and I'm getting everything boxed up and all. And before long, I see them slide off the pew there, and I hear the bones snapping. And the chaplain, she gets down there with her, and that little girl gets down there, and she prays. She gets up, the correction officer comes in the back, and she starts screaming her name, and you're messing things up and all that. And Chaplain said, I got her. I'm going to bring you no, no disrespect, Chaplain. I'm, I'm, she's messing things up. You can't do this. I know who she is, and I know what she's trying to do, and she ain't fooling me. I mean, she just started in on her. And she, she said, yes, ma'am, she's coming. So she started out over here. I can see her right now, skinny as a rail man, and walking down there in her orange jumpsuit and her little shower shoes, you know, old matted up hair and stuff like that. I said, hey, sis. Hey. I said, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? She said, I can't. I got to go. I got to go. I said, I just want to ask you one question. She said, I got to go. And I said, could I just ask you one question? Did you get anything settled? She stopped just momentarily. She said, I'm clean now. He said, oh, that ain't no big deal. Oh, well, let me just finish the story for you. We were there a year later. A year after that, we went there, and Chaplain Westmoreland was in there. And we were, uh, I talked to her. I said, hey, Chaplain. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you remember uh, so-and-so? I don't know her name. And she goes, oh, yeah, I remember. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. I mean, I've been around church since nine months before I was born, man. I mean, I'm thinking, boy, here we go with the story. Yeah, man, she said she got saved, but she turned into stinking, you know, a murdering marauder or something like that. And she killed everybody in her cell and all this kind of a stuff. And she said, yeah. She said, strange thing about that youngin. And I said, uh, yes, ma'am, what is that? She said there were a lot of girls that were in the cell with her there, or cellies, or, or pod mates and stuff like that that were in there. And she said they couldn't read. And she said, you know, we have people memorize Scripture. A little girl came up and asked me about, she said, I memorized my scripture, John 11:35. This is what reminded me of the story. And she said, what she does is, is she said, they have to memorize scripture. And then we give them a, a, a bookmark or we give them a, a, a notepad or a pencil, some scripture and things like that. And she said, the girls in her uh, pod, they, don't, they can't read and they can't memorize the scripture. And I said, oh, well, that's a, that's a sad thing. She goes, well, <laughs> yes and no. She said, what she would do is she'll come in and memorize 10 different scriptures and get 10 different gifts and then give the gifts to her cellmates. 
She said, man, God's really used that girl. She's gotten more done in that cell than I could ever get done in that cell. You say what? A broken vessel? You think you're no good, you're old God's old dish rag, and you're covered up with leper sores and putrefying sores, and you're in a bad, bad spot in a bad way, and you've got things in your past that the devil reminds you about constantly. He constantly keeps you up at night about where you could have been if you hadn't have done and what you should have done if you hadn't have done. I remember a boy down in Alabama back years ago now, uh, down just a little bit north of where Bruton, Alabama is. Alabama knows where you know. You've you know, got to know where Bruton, Alabama is. Everybody knows. Back in those days, cornfields and corn shucks and dirt roads and stuff like that. And this boy comes in there and he's sitting right there on the front pew. Big old church, man, about twice the size of this thing here. Four sets of pews right here. And we walk in and I was supposed to do something along the lines of because of my former profession to tell them some stories about police stuff and all that. And I come in there and the preacher, he's trying to be nice. And in the South, you, you always walk and talk to people. Hey, how you? You know, how you doing? They don't, they're just checking you out. That's what you do. You know, you just, hi, how you? How you? You know, that's why they get upset if you don't speak to them in the South. That's their way of kind of rubbing up against you to see whether or not you smell good or whether or not they like you. And up here, y'all are like, don't talk to me. I'll let you know whether or not you can speak to me. <laughs> you size them up from a distance. Down there, they're kind of like, they get up, up close, you know. They check your teeth and all. They're checking all kind of stuff while they're shaking your hand, right? They're feeling your pulse. And, oh, yeah, his pulse rate's up a little bit. He's going to die of a heart attack. I know how to whoop him in a fight, you know. And that kind of thing. They run their hand up your sleeve, make sure you don't have a knife in there or whatever, you know. And, and so we're just talking. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Yes, ma'am. Nice to meet you. Yes, ma'am. And that kind of a thing. I come across the front there. I'm telling you, man, that place was full up. They had a whole bunch of kids from a, a youth uh, event thing there, and they had all kind of kids and stuff around. And this guy's sitting right here. I mean, he's got tats all over him, man. He's covered up. I mean, you can tell where he's been stamped on by the world, you know. And he's sitting there. And the preacher, I could have shot him on the spot, man. He walks up and he goes, hey, man, hey, this guy's a police captain, man. He's a con man, you know. He's our resident drug addict. He said it out loud. Sitting next to him, the little nine-year-old boy. And uh, he walked off and said something. Man, I got down on one knee and I said, hey, man, I don't know where that came from. And... He said, oh, Chuck, preacher, you know, that's all right. He said, that's all they know me about. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? I said, you know, are you still messing around with that stuff? He said, no, sir. He said, I've been, I've been clean quite a while now. I said, how long? He said, 10 years. I said, 10 years? He said, yes, sir. I said, is that your boy? He said, yes, sir. I said, does he know anything about it? He said, no, sir. But he might ask some questions now. I said, listen, man, I'm really sorry that that guy said that. I had nothing to do with that. And he made a big joke about the cop and the con. He even said something about it in the pulpit. That guy's standing out there like a glowing traffic light, man, in the middle of midnight, nobody around just flashing red, and everybody knows. And I said, you got more guts than I do, and you got more character than I do. He said, why do you say that? And I said, for you to sit here and all these people only hold you accountable for what you used to be and saying that stuff in front of your boy who doesn't know his daddy was ever involved in that stuff. I said, your boy, he said, he's born after I got out of prison, preacher. Why well, you always got to let people know about the past? 
You know what I know? I know somebody like that. God will use ten times over somebody with a perfect record. Now, don't you misunderstand me. I don't believe that you've got to go have a bad testimony to have a good testimony. Don't you run off in the ditch with this thing and say, okay, good, man. Case of raw, raw, I'm out of here. I'm going to uh, go bring the heat, man. I'm going to go enjoy the world and all that. You may not come back from it. I guarantee you when that prodigal boy came back to the father's house, I guarantee you daddy saw he needed something. What? A covering for all the stuff. He didn't have nothing but rags on and shoes on his feet. Why? That hog dewey stains your feet and stays with you from now on. Any Indians ever raised hogs before? I mean, you've got hog factories around here, don't you? You all know anything about pigs other than they're good to eat? They're good to eat. Right? As long as you don't put no nitrates in them, then it make me crazy. But you ever eat pigs? I'm, I'm a pork abstaining Jew. Good, good, more for the rest of us, man. You ever been to a hog farm? Man, it'll put a stink on you. Like you can't, you wash your clothes. You can't get it out of your nose. It's like times I've been in houses where somebody's been dead several days and you know their skin's waving at you and stuff. We got little ones in here. I won't be too graphic. You walk in there, man. You put Vaseline under your nose. You do every trick you can imagine to try to keep the stench down. You smell that stuff three or four days. I could walk out of here right now and catch a whiff of it, and I guarantee you, man, it'll flood back memories and stuff like that. You walk into a hog farm, man, that stuff sticks on you. You just well burn your clothes just about, man. I mean, it's bad. I still like to eat them, but let somebody else raise them, right? <laughs> you imagine how that boy stunk when he came back from the far country? But the father still rejoiced when he came home. Remember old Elijah under the juniper tree? You thought I forgot him. He's still there. You say, what did the Lord do? Well, the Lord's a good Baptist. He came down there and kicked him, beat him, told him what a worthless servant he was, told him what a no good preacher he was. Now, those of you worried about being in the Bible, I'm coming in the Bible in just a second. Just hang on. <laughs> he looked down in that thing right there, and he looked at old Elijah, and he said, boy, you worthless. Sorry, after all I did for you, I kept you alive for three years for this. You're down here under the tree. That's not what he did. He walked by and saw that old boy sitting there in the throes of depression, can I say this about depression, Christian? Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes uh, even Christians experience depression? Well, two of you have experienced it. God bless your heart. I've experienced it. You don't even have to have a good reason or what may be a good reason to other people. You don't know what will spin you up and cause you to get depression. Sometimes grief can get turned into depression pretty quickly. And then before long, you know what you're ready to do? It's enough, Lord. What's life worth? Why should I even be alive? I'm up in Cleveland last year and I'm preaching. And there's a kid sitting down here. And he's got all the stuff on his neck and all that other kind of a deal. And I talked a little bit about it and how close you can be even as a Christian and that kind of a thing. And the kid got saved and he came up to me. And you know what he said? He said, Preacher, he said, uh, I just did what you talked about. I told him about a 10-year-old boy that hung himself because he got depressed over a little girl. 10 years old. Put a rope around his neck and jumped off of an oak tree out on a hot July afternoon down in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, th those, are, those are just not things you can unsee. And they're not um, uh, very good to look at. I realize we got a lot of young kids here. I'm going to be careful. But all of a sudden, man, that kid's just swinging in that breeze just like that old Spanish moss hanging down there, man. And Mama comes up behind there, and he's got a little note there about his girlfriend who jilted him. You say, well, what a ridiculous thing. It must have just been puppy love. Real to the puppy. Ten-year-old boy gone. And I told that story, and he said, yeah, preacher. He said, I, I know what that's like. He said, I just hung myself uh, two weeks ago. And I said, what? 
And he said, I hung myself. He said, yeah, I was out for however long, many minutes. And I'm, I'm now I'm thinking, okay, here we go. I've been around. I know what, what it is. And uh, he, I said, you really, that happened? And he goes, yes, sir. I mean, boy, the marks are there. And I kind of looked and he said, I know what you're thinking. He said, the doctors can't even explain it. He said, uh, usually you're out without oxygen and you lose this and lose this and lose this. And he said, there's only one thing that hasn't come back the way that it was before. He said, but I know why I didn't die. I said, well, why didn't you die when all that happened? And he said, because I got saved tonight. He said, if I'd have died two weeks ago, I'd have been in hell. And I said, well, why did you come tonight? He said, because I'm fixing to go to prison. I told a story about a kid that had uh, shot somebody. He was 18 years old, and after we got done with him in the box and stuff like that, that kid had a good testimony of salvation and all that. And I just ended the story with, you know, the Lord will go with you into prison, but you still got to pay. And he paid the rest of his life there with it. He deserved to pay the rest of his life. And he said, I, I heard that story. He said, I, I'm glad to know the Lord will still go with me. He won't leave me. I said, no, he'll walk through the jail bars with you. You know what can happen sometimes with depression as a Christian? Sometimes you sequester that. You smother it. You smolder it. You don't want anybody to know you're struggling. But it's a real thing. It doesn't mean you're less than a Christian. Moses had it. Kill me. Job had it. Wish I'd have never been born. Elijah had it. I'm no better than my father's. Let me die. You better than those boys? Those are some pretty good boys. You say, well, you know, preacher, I mean, I don't think any Christian should. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying you've got to stop it when the thought comes in. You better know where to go to get it. You better know where to get some help. I've heard preachers get up and say, oh, that stuff's of the devil, man. And you throw all your pills down the toilet. You better shut your mouth, man. You don't know what you're dealing with. You know what it's like to deal with and live with a crazy person? You imagine what it would be like to live with a demon-possessed man, demon-possessed woman? You husband and wives are like, I know exactly what that's like. You know? <laughs> well, good. Pray for a better day. But, but you know what happens, ladies and gentlemen? Sometimes Christians put that stuff under the mat. And the next thing you know, you hear about some Christian. Well, how in the world did that happen? Because they're afraid to say anything because it'll be all over Facebook and Instagram. You make it a weakness. It's a strength. You realize that you're into the rope. I can't take it anymore. I've done all I can do. I'm ready to quit. Give up. Throw in the towel. What benefit has it been? Go to church. Read my Bible. Pray. Try to minister. Try to give. I'm still broke. I'm still sick. The kids are still in trouble. My marriage is still a problem. I've read every book. I've listened to every CD, every MP3. I'm doing the things I should do. And it's still just nothing but sheol on wheels, man. I can't take it anymore. I'm done. And then how are you? Fine. How you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Don't ask me again. I will turn into an axe murderer. Or I'll go postal on you. Can I just say this? That old Elijah had gotten out of fellowship with the Lord, and the Lord restores him with a still small voice there. You know how much longer that guy goes on? Ten more years. And he trains a boy who winds up doing double the miracles. Those last 10 years of that boy's life meant more to that preacher following after him and more to the nation of Israel than all the time that it was up prior to that time. You say, why? God likes to use broken vessels. You know what you'll do with a broken vessel? Peter will come along. He's the chief of apostles. You read a little further. You know what he is? Chief of servants. What happened to you, Peter? Yeah, the Lord broke me. 
One more illustration. I'm going to come to this thing right here. You remember in John chapter 21 when the Lord calls Pete up there onto the beach? Pete comes in this time. He doesn't go walking on water. He knows he can't swim in a coat. You know what he has to do? He's got to lay the coat aside. He ain't walking on the water this time. He's swimming. And he swims over to the beach, and the Lord gets him up on the beach there, probably five barley loaves and two fishes. I don't know what's there, but maybe five barley loaves and two fishes, just to remind him of the miracles. Peter had a short-term memory a lot of times. And so he gets up there and kind of digging around in the ashes. You know what he says? He says to that boy, he said, do you love me? What a weird thing to ask. <laughs> why don't you say, you know, why'd you do this and why'd you do that and what are you doing with this and what are you doing with that? I mean, what a strange thing. Peter, well, aren't you serving me? Or what a, he said, do you love me? Lord, do you know I love you? Well, when he says, feed my lambs, what he is saying is, what in the cat hair are you doing back out there in the, in the ocean, in the lake? Didn't I tell you to feed them? Peter, you just, just uh, disqualified yourself from the ministry. And the third time he asked him that, you know what he says? A strange thing in that passage to me. There's 152 fishes that are there. They're all particular. They're all individual. It's all personal. You know what he says to him? He says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? By now the other boys are up on the beach with him. You love me more than these? He can't be comparing him to the other ones. Because we know that comparing yourselves among yourselves is not wise. What do you mean do you love me more than these? More than who? Can't be Pharisees. You know, they love themselves, not him. Who's he mean do you love me more than these? I'll tell you what I think it is. I'm just guessing and read it in a commentary. I think he's pointing to those fishes right there. He said, you love me more than these? And he said, uh, yeah, Lord, I, I love you more than those. He said, you love me more than these 152 fishes that went and got in the net and got, allowed themselves to be caught and willing to lay down their life because it's what I wanted to have done. And they're laying here on the beach dying because of what I wanted to have done. And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And the Bible says, and he said, well said, Peter, for when you were young, unbroken, you would not go where I wanted you to go. You pull out your sword. You fought me every step of the way. You even called me a liar. But when you get old, you know what you're going to do, Peter? You're going to let him take you where you wouldst not go. He spake of how Peter would die. You love me, Peter? Yeah, well, you're not disqualified. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm using you. Well, they're going to talk about your past, and they're going to talk about this, and you're going to talk about that. I don't care, Peter. I'm using you. Are you hearing me? I should give an invitation right there, right now, right there for some of you, that you realize God's not done with you yet. You've got enough to do in this community, man, to keep you busy till the rapture happens, or until a bomb drops, or until the apocalypse happens, you know, until you wind up getting the vaccine, and you've got the mark of the beast in you, and you're walking around, and you have a zombie calypse, or whatever, and that. All the most ridiculous stuff I'm hearing preachers preach nowadays, it's insane. They preach more out of the headlines of a newspaper than out of a Bible. And all of a sudden, it gets you all jacked up about what the government's going to do and now you got flying objects and all this other kind of stuff. I don't care. Let her rip, tater chip. I'm going to the house. Doesn't make a difference to me. Well, you should get it or you shouldn't get it. Hey, when you get a white coat and you've been through all that, maybe I'll take advice from you. Just because you're reading all the conspiracy sites and you're telling me what you think about I should or shouldn't, you ain't in control of my health. Amen. 
I know my wife got sick. She got bad sick, man. And we had everybody. I know they care and all that kind of a deal. And we told them we had to do some of the conventional things because it was real aggressive. And we went and had surgery and they cut her from stem to stern. And then after they get done with that stuff, it starts the chemo stuff. That stuff was absolutely horrible, man. She said, I'm going to Auschwitz today. That's what we called the chemo place. And we're going to Auschwitz today, you know. And I said, man, good night a lot. And then, then we went over to the radiation place. They put us in that little thing, that big old stinking iron door. Oh, my goodness, man. She'd be laying there exposed to the world, getting ready to have that radiation. And they are burning her like in the oven. She said, well, I am going to the ovens today. I said, babe, you got to stop that. That is, you know. And she'd lay there and tears would be running down. And, and they'd tell her you can't move. And they're running down in her ears. And I want to get there. And she'd say, just stand there. And then they'd close that big old door. And then I'd disappear. And she'd just be laying there squalling. And I have to go sit out there in the room while they burned her. I'm being burned as red as your shirt. Look like a, a red bell pepper you put up on the flames, you know, and just char it, man. I mean, just blistered her from one end to the other. You know what people said? You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Well, she's still with me. I mean, if the Lord got in it, the Lord got in it. Yeah, but you know, what about the side effects? The side effect could have been she'd be dead. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. But see, there's too much of this getting into people's personal stuff. And, you know, well, here's what you need to do. Uh, drink some of these weeds. Everything will be okay. It's just like you just cut your grass, put it in a blender, and you want me to trust you to drink that. I, I understand some of that stuff. But, listen, it's not really the time to, you know, have the eye of the bat and the wing of the newt and all that. And a little peroxide and a little bleach. Mix it together. And, you know, get you some baking soda. Throw it over your shoulder. Stand on your head twice. And then, you know, throw some salt. And you're good to go, you know. I, we just made some other choices. You say, what? Maybe the Lord's working on the vessel. I know this. I know in dealing with ladies that have had severe uh, uh, triple negative breast cancer, uh, she's got an immediate connection with them that I'll never have. Man, somebody will call her. We don't know from Adam's house cat, man. Uh, 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 Brother Peacock, uh, yes, can I help you with something? No, but your wife could. Uh, okay, well, just a moment. Get on the phone. Next thing you know, we talk for an hour or so, and she gets off the phone, and I hear her praying and stuff like that. And I said, what was that about? She said, a lady going through what I went through. And I said, broken vessel. Look, if you will, you want to look in the Bible, I'll just give it to you. How's that? <laughs> you go over to Mark chapter number 14. That's the story about a lady there by the name of Mary. You remember that? See, you brought your Bible. And you know what some of you were thinking? I brought my Bible and he ain't even going to use it. You're like the preacher one time, he picked up a Bible and he, he, he got a hold of it and the pages, unbeknownst to him, had been glued together. And so he got up and he said, and he uh, took to him a wife and she was 14 by 14 cubits and she was daubed with pitch and, uh, and that kind of a thing. And he said, if, if that's the kind of wife he married, the Bible says it and I believe it, you know, kind of a deal. Some of you brought your Bible and the pages are stuck together. We're going to get into it here for a minute. Look at the story real quick. I realize I've already gone a little bit long here. Just give me a second. Is it helping you? This will help you more than, you know, whatever it is they're shooting down, wherever they're shooting them down. What is it? I got no idea. Well, guess what? It's the end of the world. Okay. I'm leaving. I'm, I mean, I'm out of here. See you later. Kim Jong-un is going to throw a nuke our way. And now China's aiming. 
Russia, the bear is on the prowl, and he's going to do a first strike. Okay. You're going to be a pink mist, not for long. I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, you know, what did the newspaper say today? I didn't even look, I don't know. They probably shot something else down. What else are they going to do? It's like they got to have target pride. I don't know. You know, if they, if they are from another planet and we have the ability to get them, they must not be very smart. If we're smarter than they are, they're not our only hope. I need somebody that's smarter. Are you there in that passage? This is a great passage. This make every man kind of curl up a little bit. You ever realize how many times in the New Testament I'm starting to like you folks? Y'all are smiling at me now. Either that or you got gas. I'm not sure which it is. You know how that is. You see a little baby and you pick him up and, and they look at you. Oh, he's smiling at me. He ain't smiling at you, preacher. You got gas. You better give him back, you know. <laughs> you ever realize how many times the Lord uses uh, women in the Bible? I know it's a man's book. I know it's written by men. I get all that. I know women can't preach. <laughs> well, I don't know. You haven't been around some of the women I know. I mean, some of them can't preach. Just not in the pulpit. Oh, come on now. That was good. Some of you guys all of a sudden like, baby, did you get that? Did you get that? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of thing. But you know what? You know what? He uses women in the Bible. He uses the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, who doesn't know women have issues? But he has a woman with an issue of blood, right? Right? He uses the woman at the well, right? He's got a woman right here named Mary. You know what he does? He builds a memorial to her. Ma'am, I hate the fact that you are who you are and you resent who you are. And a lot of women nowadays are trying to become men because they resent the fact that God made them a woman. But God used women in the Bible just like he used men the woman uh, in the Bible. Can you tell me who the great woman of Shunem was? Oh, you know what you know about her? She was a great woman. You know what she did? She took care of a preacher. You say, what'd God do? Put her down. You know what? There's a woman over there who drove a tent peg through one of the great types of Antichrist over there. Who was that? That was a woman. God used women all throughout the Bible. Two, of the, two women over there trained Timothy. That Paul's protege there, there's two women involved. Ma'am, you are important. This stuff going on with these little kids tonight, man, man, it made me jump out of my skin. You say, what's important about, that's a future church. And men don't have the patience for that. Kids get up there and they get to messing around. They're like, hey, stop it. Be still. What's wrong with you? And, and women are like, it's okay. You just had a little too much sugar. It'll wear off after a while, you know. And wait till they learn about caffeine and sugar also, right? That stuff's important. Hey, can I say this to you? There is no memorial built to all of the greats that are in the Bible, all the men that are there. There is one memorial in the Bible, and it is built to a woman. So for me, when I read that, I think to myself, I probably ought to maybe take a look at this because the Lord said this is kind of important. And so guess what happens? She comes in there, but before we get to him saying that we have, this is a memorial to her for these particular reasons, you have to understand the Lord is there to have supper. And he's going to sit down for a while and he's going to have close to the end of his ministry here, he's going to have a conversation with the boys, right? You all know the story. I won't go through the whole thing. So then what winds up happening? She comes and she thinks, what can I bring the Lord? Well, what do you give somebody that has everything? 
Well, she goes up there. What a lot of people don't know is, is contained in that alabaster box up there that she's fixing to bring, that's like her 401k. That's her retirement. But it's more than that. It is her insurance that she will not be taken by another Jewish man because women couldn't take care of themselves. So if there was no son, there was no brother, there was no uncle, there was no dad, then guess what happened? Whoever came by, they wound up, the, the women had to go live with him. And do whatever that man commanded them to do because they couldn't take it in welfare systems back then. That was her guarantee. She always had plenty of money on the shelf to be able to ensure that her and Martha, whether something happened to Lazarus or anything else, that they didn't have to worry about that. And so all of a sudden she said, I think that'll be just fine. She takes that old box down, probably gets a little stool there, gets on top of the armoire, and she gets up there and she grabs that thing and she kind of dusts it off and man, she takes the lid off and Man, that stuff smells good, boy. The Bible says it's full of spikenard, very costly. I mean, it was major. I mean, it was like something from Paris, man. I mean, OD perfume or whatever. And so she says, man, that'll, that'll be good, man. It had only gone up in value and gone up in value and gone up in value. And she comes around there, and the Lord's there, and Martha's got all the dinner and stuff ready, and the boys are sitting around the table eating. It's a men's meeting. There's no women invited. Women are considered to be worse than dogs, less than dogs. I mean, they're just, they're just people to do whatever it's supposed to be done. And they don't have those rights like you have nowadays. They don't have those rights. And so they come up there, and all of a sudden, here she comes. She's walked down the street, probably got it tucked in her robe or something. And she gets up there and walks in. Martha looks out from the kitchen and sees her coming. Oh, man, what does she want? Martha don't want her in the kitchen. She must burn the biscuits all the time or something because she's complaining about it. But she doesn't want her to do nothing but the dishes. And she's thinking to herself, what are you doing? And she opens up the door there, and all the men are laying there. And the first thing the Bible says is, is that when they saw her coming, you know what? They saw there was nothing in her hands for them. There's no coffee, there's no tea, there's no key lime pie, no cinnamon rolls. There's none of the stuff in there for them. And she opens up the door, she's got a little old box in her hand, and the Bible says, and they despised her. They were irate toward her. And she walks right up there to the Lord, and she takes that alabaster box. And alabaster is not soft like they try to make it. And they're like, well, it had to be softly rubbed. No, man, with the strength of Samson and the compassion that she had, everything she had, man, that little old woman took that box and shattered that box all to pieces. I thank the Lord she wasn't a Baptist. If she'd have been a Baptist, what she'd have done is gone up there and took the lid off and measured out 10% and then... <laughs> Put it back on there, and then, and that's 10% of the net, not the gross. Make sure that we put that on there. No, you know what she said? Man, God's been good to me. What am I going to do with him? It'll be better in his hands than in my hands. And the Bible says she broke the box. Did you hear me? She broke the box. And then they start running their mouth about her, and they despised her. You know what I found? I found any time that you as a Christian want to try to move closer to the Lord, you distinguish yourself as an individual because you want to live right, you want to do right, you want to act right in spite of what everybody else says. I found people will always talk about you. That's just a consistent thing. Well, you know what happens? The people that didn't care anything about you when you were out there running the streets and doing stuff you shouldn't do, they didn't say nothing about you. Then you start coming to church and reading your Bible and praying, and now all of a sudden they're like, well, you're carrying a little too far, ain't you? What you going to do when deer season comes around? Still going to go to church, you know? I mean, Lord have mercy, man. Down south on opening day of deer season, a lot of times they shut church down. You say, what? That's more than football down there, man. Opening day of deer season. 
Lord have mercy, you've got the rest of the season to get something. No, it's got to be more important than more important than seeing the Lord, you know. Church will always be there, you know. Old John, you know, he'd walk out with that eight point. Somebody get him before I do, you know. I gotta get out there and get him first so I can throw him on the hood of my car, half bake him before I ever get him to the butcher, so everybody can see them antlers riding through the town. I got the big deer, you know. So, okay, great, man. You got blood all over your car and your meat's no good because you heated it up to four hundred degrees. Riding back and forth in the town, making sure everybody's slow roasting the deer. Anyway, you know what happened? She comes up there and she shatters that thing, and those boys behind the Lord said, Let her alone. Listen to me, she hath done what she could. Could you tell me where she preached a sermon? Sang a song? Taught a Sunday school class? We know she didn't work in the kitchen. Because Martha's always complaining about her never being in the kitchen. What did she do? What she could. With whatever she had to offer, God had it. I remember a boy up in Tennessee. My dad was a pastor up there for a while. We were in Chattanooga right across from a Chris Craft Boat Company up there. And we lived down in Rossville. I grew up in the mountains there in uh, Tennessee. They're just a little, just a northern part of Georgia. On South Missionary Ridge, look across the valley and look up on Lookout Mountain over on the other side. John Ross House and all that stuff down there in the town, uh, that kind of a thing. And yes, I used to tie up like this. So I, was, I was born in Atlanta and I was raised in the mountains up there in Tennessee. And that's how I talked. When I was taking my exams and stuff, I had people coming down yonder from Philadelphia and New York and all to tutor me. And they sitting down there and they said, what is a lockado bar? And I said, what do you mean? He said, what's a lockado bar? What are you saying? I said, lockado bar. What are you saying? Break it down. I said, like that over there. And I said, like that Ovar. You know what he said? He said, you better learn to break it down. He said, because you know the material, but you sound like an idiot. Right. Well, now I know how to break it down. I still haven't got rid of the idiot part, but I'm working on it. I've been working at it for a number of years now. I haven't gotten any better with it. But I remember getting up there when I was in Tennessee. My dad's up here and sitting over here on the second row was a boy named Herbie. He was a knock-kneading, pigeon-toed man. He was, a, he was about 50 at that time. His thumbs were turned in like this, and he had teeth that looked like they had socks on them and stuff. And stunk, man, I mean, to high heaven. I can't ever remember. I think maybe I might remember one service that Herbie wasn't in the service. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special meetings, Herbie was sitting there. He couldn't read, and he couldn't sing either. He sung everything in one note. I mean, the elevator didn't go to the top. There's a couple of fries short of a Happy Meal or however you want to call it. He was mentally deficient. I'm not making fun, but Herbie, I mean, he, he would pick up a hymn book. He couldn't read it. He'd have it upside down. Sung everything in the same key. That's how he sung, you know. I mean, just un unbelievable. Herbie would come into that church service and sit there every time. There'd be a 20-foot circle all the way around Herbie. Nobody wanted to be around him because he smelled so bad. He'd sit right over there. And one day he goes over to the paper mill. Herbie used to walk around all the places in Chattanooga and he would get uh, newspapers and he would roll up the newspapers with his fingers like this in those days and tie them with a string. And they had an ice cream cart and they cut the top out of that and they put all that stuff down in there 
and the Herbie would walk over there down the, down the street, go to the paper mill, and he'd stand on the weigher, and then he'd get weighed, and they'd say, okay, Herbie, and he'd go over there, and he'd take all those papers out, and then he'd come back and weigh again, and he'd say, come to the office, over the microphone, Herbie come to the office, they'd give him a brown bag, and they'd put his money in it, cash in those days, put money, cash money, like Daddy makes selling snack, cash, I mean, the real deal cash, you know, not this direct deposit stuff, I mean, th- I mean, really making money, you know what I mean? Poor mom's got to make it up for you, but at any rate, you put that money in there, he, Herbie would always come by, it'd be on a Thursday, and Herbie would come by there, he'd open up the door, the secretary would be way up front, and they had these wires, black and red, I'll never forget it, running down the hallway back to where my dad's office was, and uh, she'd get ready to hit the button, Herbie would come in, where the preacher? And she'd hit the button, he'd say, send him in, I heard him, you know, and so she'd come, get the pad, and get the janitor, Mr. Ed would come over there. And they'd come back there to my dad's office, and Herbie would take that bag out, and he'd dump it out on the, on the table there. He'd say, Put you, I got paid today. He said, Herbie, you did good, man. This is a bonanza, man. You really got the dough, man. You're doing really good. Put you, how much money I got there? And he'd count it out. He'd say, $110, Herbie. He'd say, how much in my tithe, preacher? He said, now, Herbie, your mama's an invalid, and over there you don't even know who your daddy is. Your sister's working, and the government's trying to take care of you. The Lord understands. You don't have to preach you. I said, how much in my tithe? He said, well, preacher, uh, Herbie, that'd be about $11. And he said, okay, $11. You count it. Herbie, Herbie can't count. You count me $11. And then Daddy'd count out 11 ones or, you know, whatever there. And then they'd sign off everything on like that. And he'd get ready to go. He said, preacher, I want to give an offering. And he'd say, well, how much would you like to give? Preacher, I don't know how, how much. He said, well, you want to give a dollar? I want to give a dollar for offering. So he'd put that on there and put $12 in an envelope, put the names on it. They'd sign it, put a little note in the bag, receipt to his sister to make everything was above board. And they'd put it right back in Herbie's pocket right here. Eleven, uh, $12 bills would be right there in the pocket. Herbie would show up on Sunday. They get ready to pass the offering plate. Herbie would stand up. He'd be, he couldn't wait, man, that plate to come by. And when the plate would come by, Herbie would hold that thing in these two fingers like this, and he'd wait for the plate to come by. And when it would come by, he'd wait. And then when it would come by, he'd pow. He'd try to make it pop. And if it popped, he'd turn around and he'd grin at everybody in there. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, one day a guy that didn't know hadn't taken up the offering before, uh, it didn't pop. So Herbie reached in to get it again, and the guy grabbed his hand. And Herbie, now they're starting to tug, you know, back and forth. And, and my dad said, let him go, let him go, you know. He'll put it back in there. And then he got it because he wanted to hear the thing pop. And then get in the back, and the guy's like, man, why didn't somebody tell me? He said, oh, we all got, you know, baptism by fire with Herbie. Herbie's coming out the back door one day. Quick story. I'll be done here in just a second. Still only 10 minutes till 6. We're doing good, man. What a blessing. We're getting ready to walk out the door, man. And Herbie comes by out there. And he grabs. He's, oh, now don't put your boy. Come in, boy. And he grabbed a hold of me. He didn't know his own strength, man. He pulled me into that old sweaty, smelly, perspiration shirt of his. And he squeezed me, man. And, man, I, he's, I said, stop, man. You hurt me. Get away. And like that. Ooh, I pushed him away. And about that time, the hand of God reached down and got me by the back of the britches. And I touched about every three or four. And you know how all them big churches have those rooms, and you don't really know why those rooms are there. They're just there. I know why that room was there. My daddy took me into that room, and he said, Boy, 
I wish I had a hundred Herbies. And if you ever do that ever again, he said, I'm going to put something on you. Ajax won't take off. I heard the belt come off. I got three swats, man. And I mean, man, I'm bawling and squalling. He said, now dry it up and go out and apologize. He always made me call him Mr. Herbie and apologize to Mr. Herbie. I go out there, man, and I'm out there, and, and Mr. Herbie's already crying. And I'm, I said, Mr. Herbie, I'm really sorry. Oh, Mr. Herbie, Tommy, you don't mean to get you in no trouble. I'm too tall. And now I'm thinking, stop, just stop. It's bad enough as it is. Dad just beat me again, man. I mean, I'm feeling terrible. And he gets ready to walk out the door. And my dad and Herbie always had a thing when they went over there. And my dad would say, Thumbs up, Herbie. He'd say, Thumbs up, Pleacher. And out the door he'd go, down them big old foyer stairs and down out there onto the street. Always walked home, always walked to church. Nobody hardly ever would pick him up. Herbie is getting uh, ready to die. My dad had been gone for a while there, and him and my nephew Woodard were up there. And my dad said, Hey, I want to go by and, and see Herbie. And uh, they went to the hospital. Herbie's laying there and find out he's got one of his legs. He had diabetes, had one of his legs cut off there. And he said, well, Herbie, what have you been doing with yourself? And he said, well, preacher, no, since I lost my leg, I've been hopping around on one leg, poison digest. <laughs> oh, thank you, Herbie. <laughs> and so they get ready to go. And they go, he said, preacher, he said, I mean, they said, I got to go. And they prayed and all that kind of stuff. And they got ready to go and walk out the door. I'm talking about broken vessels, by the way, just to remind you. And I'm ready to walk out the door. And my dad says he gets about as far from here to that door, about 100 feet down the road or down the hallway there. And all of a sudden he hears, Preacher! 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 And he went running in there. He said, Herbie, you can't holler like that in the hospital. Man, don't do that. What's the matter? Preacher! Preacher, who forgot something? He said, Herbie, I don't think I forgot anything. I prayed with you, and we talked a while, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I, 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 what else can I do for you? He said, preacher, you forgot. Not going to be long before going to be thumbs up for old hubby. See, the thing between him and daddy was is when I get to heaven, the Lord's going to turn my thumbs loose and let me say, he said, going to be thumbs up, preacher, for old hubby. What did Herbie do? What he could? Just what he could. What could he do? He's mentally deficient. He's not kneed. He's pigeon-toed. He's been made fun of his entire life. He's born like that. Hands are turned in. He's twisted up like a pretzel. Sit right over there. Just came to church. You think 11 or $12 every other week shake the budget of the Baptist church there? Probably not. At a meeting one time, George Beverly Shea came there and Cliff Barrels was going to preach. Those used to be Graham's uh, sidekicks. My dad knew all those boys and Beverly Shea's there. Man, they had that place packed out like sardines. That place would hold about 1,500 people and it was packed out beyond that. I mean, they're all up and down the sideways and uh, the hallways and up on the balcony. They're all spread out, man. I mean, there's nowhere to sit. Deacon comes in. And the deacon comes in, and I'm in the office. I'll never forget it. He said, Preacher, he said, uh, we got a seating problem. And he said, well, do the best you can. Let him be out in the foyer or outside. I, there's nothing. We don't have any more seats. He goes, well, Preacher, he said, we have one of these things here. He said, you know where Herbie sits? And my dad said, yeah. And he said, well, there's uh, several spaces right there in that area. If we could get uh, Herbie moved, we could probably use that. Man. I thought my dad was going to turn that desk over, man. I thought it was going to be a Samson thing, boy. He stood up out of that chair. He said, if you touch Herbie, you're going to deal with me. 
let them sit on the floor. They are not sitting where Herbie sits. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you tell them, Dad. And that big baritone or tenor, whatever you want to call him, Beverly Shea, got up and sang. I didn't know who the guy was from Adam's house. Cat, hey, you know, hey, you must be Ben's boy. Oh, David, our, you know, kind of a thing. Okay, nice to meet you, you know, and know who he was. People were packed in there like sardines to hear that guy sing. Preacher, if we could just move that old smelly, stinky, crippled, mentally retarded fellow out of that place he always sits, we could get some more people in here. Boy, I'd love to have that testimony. Let me just tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, he didn't fit the bill for a posh Southern Baptist church. He didn't have a tie. He didn't have a matter of fact, I think he wore the same shirt all the years there I knew him. His Sunday go to meeting clothes, stained half the time, covered in sweat, covered in rain, covered in snow. It didn't matter. Where is he? Right there. Hair not combed half the time. They'd give him a haircut. Looked like put a bowl on his head, man. He looked like one of the, the three stooges and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that he ever brushed his teeth. My dad said, well, I wish I had a hundred of them. Wish I had a hundred of them. I've been pastoring now for 32 years. You know what I wish? I wish I had a hundred of them. Wish I had a hundred of them. You say what? To just do what they could do. I'll give you one more real quick story. I came home working a midnight shift one night, and I was taking off all the stuff and vest and gun belt and all the other stuff and getting it put up and getting ready to take a nap there. This is before I was even married. And I'm getting ready to go to, uh, to, go to bed, and I turn on the TV. Back in those days, you could find a little bit of preaching uh, in those days, and you can't find much of it anymore, but you could find a little bit of preaching. And so I turn the thing on, and I go into the other room in there, and I'm changing. i got it turned up. And I hear this guy on there, and I'm thinking, I've heard that voice before. And the guy I thought it was was a guy that I had seen at my dad's house sitting on the couch. My dad was in the chair, and he was pouring his heart out, and he was just bawling and squalling about some things going on in his life. And I came over there to get a sandwich, you know, and I walked in, and I saw it. And I said, I'll go. And he said, no, it's okay. I'll leave. And I said, no, sir, you're good. I left. I, that was my introduction to this guy. Well, all of a sudden, I hear him up there, and I walk in there, and I'm, I'm looking. I'm better with faces and names than I am, I mean, faces and, and hearing things than I am necessary with names. And I look down there, and I thought, that's that guy. And he's up there, and he's singing victory in Jesus, but he is slobbering all over the pulpit, man. And he is up there trying to wave his arms, but he looks like he's, he, he's, a, he's a paraplegic, like he's having an epileptic seizure or something. And he's all twisted up, and then all of a sudden he says, stop, and the orchestra stops, and the choir stops, and the people stop, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, man, what is this guy doing? And he leaned over the pulpit. He said, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? I never forgot that. I thought, man, that's the guy that was there bawling and squalling and crying. It's an old Southern Baptist evangelist. Well, his doctor is not dead on, and he didn't get this right, he didn't get that right. You know, I was talking to my dad. He was worried. He wanted to meet a girl. He wanted to get married. He wanted to have children. He was scared to death. He said, Preacher, he said, I don't want to have children, and they have to grow up with me. And you read that boy's autobiography and how he struggled with suicide and losing his mom and losing his dad and losing his friends. And then he's standing in a pulpit, and he's preaching to people. And I thought to myself real quick, if I was twisted up like that, would I serve the Lord? Broken to pieces like that? Born that way? You say, what did he do? What he could? And some of us, we have more ability than that in our pinky. And you get broken vessels up there and they'll do something for the Lord. Preacher, I'm broken up and I'm busted up. Do you ever thank the Lord for that? 
Do you ever think about a revival meeting being about, you know something, uh, preacher, I, I haven't been given the talent everybody else has, but what I have, if the Lord could use it, I, I sure would be willing to, to let him have it. Do you ever realize that God likes broken things? You know how you started your relationship with him and I'm done? You started with it by being broken over your sin at Calvary. It doesn't stop after that. Now, I've given you probably a dozen illustrations today. You know what all of them have in common? You know what the common thread is through that thing? No, preacher, we got no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, I'm a bad communicator then because all I'm trying to illustrate for you is people like Martha who broke the box and poured everything on the Lord. You know what that Bible says? That Bible says, She hath wrought a good work, not for me, on me. She did what made him look good in spite of the fact she wasn't the most talented. None of the people in the Bible are necessarily the most talented people, but they're faithful. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The message has been a little bit long. And maybe you'll ponder for just a minute tonight before we get ready to shut everything down and consider, why would the Lord have a preacher preach something like this? I don't know. Maybe because I recognize broken vessels when I see them. Maybe I recognize there's people that have problems and they have a past. They have everything from a, a prison record to uh, divorces and to children out of wedlock. You do know this, ladies and gentlemen, even Baptist people, Christian people, uh, our kids still have kids out of wedlock. You still know that we have drug addicted people and people that have been raised right and do right that are in trouble tonight. See, preacher, it's all over with. No, not necessarily. It ain't over until death or the rapture. But would you pause for just a minute and not worry about everybody else for just a second tonight? And would you think to yourself, maybe I'm bitter at the Lord because He did this or did that or He didn't do this or He didn't do that. Would you pause, ponder for just a minute tonight? Lord, is there something I could do with this old broken vessel? I mean, if you could use a Herbie and you could use a, a ring, uh, could you, could you, you could use a, a Mary, you use the woman at the well, you use the woman with the issue. Lord, could you, could you use me? I mean, I'm just broken. You know what? We need our box broken. But the Lord's not going to force you to break it. Would you be willing, though? Not, Lord, make me willing to be willing. Lord, here's what I have to offer. And I'm coming to you, and I'm pouring it out on you. Father, bless your word. I thank you for the privilege of preaching here tonight. I pray that you might bless the time. And, Lord, that you'll help us to pause and ponder for a while. I realize Mary came in to a men's meeting. Nobody else was coming but Mary. She was the only one that came at the invitation that night. But, Lord, she sure came. And it made such a difference. You made a memorial to us. Help us, Lord, to find the wherewithal tonight to do something for thee. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.